0: So we've told you about Walters Brunch. Did you know that Walters also is open for lunch? Monday through Friday, Walters opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters.
1: Walters is a great spot to follow the Nats, whether they're across the street or if they're on the road. Plenty of TVs to watch with your friends.
2: We're driven by the search for better. Three balls, two strikes. Dayton to the belt. Check of the runners. There they go. The pitch. Breaking ball.
3: Strike three called with Robles. Out of the box, heading toward first.
1: He's rung up on the slow curve. Nationals bench is furious. That pitch looked down, and they are giving it to the home plate umpire.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, May 7th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of Massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nationals have gone from sweeping the Miami Marlins to being swept by the Atlanta Braves, fall to 12 and 15, another frustrating offensive performance in a 3-2 loss on Thursday. Nats put some guys on base, hit some balls hard, but ultimately go one for 12 with runners in scoring position and the Nats fall to one and five against the Braves on the season. Just when we think, Mark, the Nats are rising, we get something like we just got over these last three games.
1: And just to make sure everyone is aware, this is not a repeat of uh, Thursday morning's episode. This is a brand new episode. It's, it's going to sound similar because we're discussing a lot of the same topics, but it is a different game and a different podcast. You mentioned one for 12. we in run into the scoring position. They were one for 10 in the final three innings. How often does a team even get 10 at-bats with runners in scoring position from the seventh inning on? And the one hit was Jan Gomes's check swing bloops RBI single that scored a run. They hit a bunch of other balls hard. They had nothing to show for it. I mean, that's the epitome of frustration to me.
0: There's no doubt. I mean, that's where the series go one for 21 with runners in scoring position. We're 0 for 9 over the first two games. Total just six runs over the three games. And you know, it's not like the Nats were facing Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz in this series. The Brave starting pitchers for the series, Waskar, Inoa, Max Freed, and Drew Smiley. Braves had had issues with starting pitching coming into the series this season. Not in this series. The Nationals ended up being a get-right ball club in terms of a struggling pitching staff. But the thing is, like, it's one thing, okay, if you read a box score, you say, man, the Nats just can't hit it. If you watch the games, I mean, it's not like the Nats are lost at the plate. I mean, I, I do want to acknowledge that. Like, they are hitting some balls hard. They're putting some guys on base. They certainly did not on Thursday, but it's like when you need the hit to come through or when you need a borderline strike call to be called a ball as it was like in that Victor Robles plate appearance, it's just not happening. It feels like there's a Murphy's law right now and it's not Daniel Murphy when it comes to the Nationals.
1: They could use Daniel Murphy in some of these situations right now. He would deliver for them. They could use Anthony Rendon too. Oh well, well although he's on the IL, so maybe not. Yeah, I think you're right. And I mentioned it yesterday in that this isn't a lost cause, they are close, and I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm sugarcoating it because I'm not. They, they certainly have issues. But in each of these games, you can point to one or two moments and say if that just flips the other way, they probably win the game. And so I, I do think that's reason to like to feel like, okay, there, this could turn here at some point, and you're going to start to get catch a couple of breaks, or you're just going to get one of these hits to fall in. If they keep giving themselves chances, eventually it's going to work. But I do think it's a little troubling that they keep putting themselves in a spot where they have to try to produce late. We talk about all those opportunities late in the game. Well, they're not giving them many opportunities early in the game, and we discussed it yesterday. They're now 10-2 and when they score first and 2-13 and when they don't score first. And that really, I think, is significant against starting pitching that has been there for the taking. They're not getting out to an early lead, and they're putting themselves in a spot where they have to deliver late. And maybe in those late-game situations, they are feeling the pressure a little bit more knowing what's at stake. Whereas early in the game, you could be more relaxed and try to jump out to a lead. They just have not done that with any consistency.
0: No, they haven't. And, you know, it's one thing to get destroyed by Jacob deGrom, as was the case a few Friday nights ago. But like we said, this was a Braves pitching staff that had been very underwhelming. And the Nationals end up being the underwhelming outfit in terms of taking on that staff in this series. So you mentioned, okay, it feels like every game there's a moment or a plate appearance that jumps out. Clearly, in this game, it was what went down with Victor Robles. For a second consecutive game, it's a Victor Robles at-bat in a key spot that ends up jumping out. The 5-3 loss on Wednesday night, he has the first pitch fly out to shallow left with the bases loaded, two outs to end the Nats' two-run eighth inning. On Thursday, Robles striking out looking on a terrible third strike call by the home plate umpire Nick Marley. Runners on first and second, two outs, Nats are down 3-2 in the bottom of the eighth. The pitch was low, the pitch was out of the strike zone, so much so that the glove of the Braves catcher Jeff Mathis hit the dirt. You hate that it has to be like this to where a bad call costs you, okay? I mean, the Nats shouldn't be in this position to begin with. But that was brutal. And Davey was irate. So many in the Nats dugout were irate. I was wondering, I know this was a milestone day for Davey. He doesn't get tossed often. I wonder if it ran through his mind to go out there and just pitch a fit off that call.
1: (laughs) He was pretty frustrated, you could tell. But, you know, as he said afterwards, he thought that Marley, who was a rookie umpire, he thought he had a good game. He just missed that one. And, And Davey didn't hold back. Like he said, he got that one wrong. Clearly, to me, the agonizing part of that, because it's Robles, is here's a guy who they are pleading with to not expand the zone, don't chase pitches out of the zone. And he battled back in that bat, a great at bat, gets it to 3 2 and takes a tough pitch. I mean, that's a tough take. A breaking ball that looks like it might be at the knees, but is below the knees, and he takes it like to not be rewarded for it. You hope that that doesn't then change his approach the next time around. And he starts to think, I do have to start swinging at borderline pitches, because that's the last thing they want him to do. To get him right, they want him taking that pitch and just hope that it's called properly. So that made that one especially frustrating. I'm going to point to the at-bat right before it, though. Schwarber with two on and one out, and the lefty is just coming in to face him now. And I thought, unlike the previous game where we were saying, boy, Davey missed his opportunities to pinch hit, for the most part, he had all the guys he wanted in the right spots in this game. But that's the one spot that I thought, boy, you could put Ryan Zerman up there instead of Schwarber against a lefty. What did he do? Three straight curveballs, three straight strikes. That was a bad at bat under the circumstances. And it points to, I think we've talked about this, that there was a, a problem going into the season where you're just saying, Kyle Schwarber is our everyday left fielder, sink or swim, righty or lefty. There is no compliment to him from the right side. They still don't have it. That is a problem until they find someone who can be that person, he's going to keep having to bat in those situations. And I think that's going to hurt them in the long run.
0: You know, it's a shame too, because Schwerber had some good plate appearances on Thursday, two at ribby double bottom of the fourth on a one, two pitch, the leadoff full count, nine pitch walk in the bottom of the seventh. He was down in that count. One, two was able to work the walk. Of course, he had a super gutsy take. You just mentioned Robles and his gutsy take and ended up being called out on strikes. But Robles in the loss on Wednesday night, right? That tremendous eight pitch walk to load the bases with two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning, taking a pitch that was borderline, but being rewarded for that. But no doubt, I mean, he looked lost there with the three swings and misses in a big spot. You know, you had Yadiel Hernandez in the game on Thursday, unable to come through striking out with uh, Andrew Stevenson on second, went out bottom of the ninth. Nats trailing Bottom of one run. It was a bad game for Trey Turner, 0 for 5 with a strikeout. It was another underwhelming game for Josh Bell. You know, I know he worked a walk, but grounding out with runners on first and second, two outs, bottom of the first inning. It's like all these different opportunities to plate runs, all these different opportunities for potential big innings, and it just doesn't happen. Like it feels like the Nationals have the Nationals are the kings of the two run inning that feels like it should be a six run inning.
1: Yeah, you're right. They're not exploding and, and tacking on when they could. So many opportunities there. They're hitting in double plays and in inopportune moments. And, you know, runner on third and less than two outs is not getting him in. You know, hitting a ground ball instead of a fly ball or striking out. These are things that, you know, there's a fundamental way you have to approach those at-bats. They're not doing it. Now, there were some hard hit outs, like you said. I mean, Juan Soto, it was the right spot for him to come up to bat. He hit a bullet 109 miles an hour down the left field line and off the bat. You're thinking that's a double. And Marcelo Zuna had him shaded well, and he ran over and he made the catch, and that really hurt them. It's not all bad, but you do worry that as these games keep building up and these opportunities keep passing them by, that they start trying to do too much, put pressure on themselves instead of just relaxing, having a good quality at bat, and knowing what the situation calls for. I mean, situational hitting is a thing. 2019 team was really good at it. This team so far, and certainly last year's team, has not been good at it.
0: No, and there were some guys who did deliver on Thursday. Ryan Zimmerman, we mentioned him, another big hit for him, a pinch leadoff double in the bottom of the ninth. Josh Harrison had a nice game, had a uh, double, a single, and a stolen base. So that was good to see. Jan Gomes, who ends up starting all three games at catcher in the series. How often does that happen? A veteran catcher like that starting all three games in a series comes through with uh, the ribby single there in the bottom of the eighth inning. And you know, actually, you could argue Starling Castro, I mean, He's not your ideal cleanup batter, that's for sure. But the last two games, he did produce at least somewhat out of that cleanup spot, one for two with a single couple of walks on Thursday. But it's not enough. They're still not hitting for nearly enough power. And like we keep harping on, not coming through in the big spot, whether it's because they're hitting balls hard and they're just hitting it a bad luck or they're not having good plate appearances like we just outlined with, say, the Schwarber plate appearance. Like, unfortunately, at the end of the season, your ex-Woba doesn't give you extra wins. So, like, if you have great contact, great quality of contact, that doesn't really do anything for you. Like you need to score runs. You need to win games. And it's not happening right now for the Nationals. And it was a rough series, man. I mean, I really hope we look back upon this as a low point, but I think you could argue this is a low point for the offense, not in terms of the process, but in terms of the results. I mean, just the offense in this series, especially against those brave starters, it just never really happened for the Nationals over all three games.
1: No. And, you know, I want to talk about what you're just saying of of, uh, the lack of power. I mean, think about Already this year, how many times the other team has had two runners on base, three runners on base, and they don't just deliver a single to get one or two runs And No, they hit a grand slam, and that's where you get your big innings from. And the Nationals, they get runners on base, and there's a chance to do something big, and you're just kind of hoping for a single and not for a double off the wall or, God willing, a, a ball over the fence. And that is kind of troubling that they are not hitting for power. Their home run differential for the season is, I think, minus 16, which is the most in the majors. That's you know a problem. and Not that I thought this was going to be a huge home run team, but I thought it'd be more than what they're showing right now. Again, Soto will help when he's back. Trey Turner's hitting homers. Bell and Schwarber are not. Castro is not. Robles is not. So I think that's part of the equation here, that in, in 2021, it is hard to score enough runs, with sustained rallies. You need big hits. And by big hits, I mean hits that score two, three, four runs. And they're not doing that at all.
0: Yeah. You know, we've noted that Ryan Zimmerman is second on the Nats with four home runs. And we've sort of framed that as, wow, that's a credit to Zimmerman. Limited opportunity, second on the ball club and home runs. That's also an indictment of the ball club that a guy who has played like, you know, half the time this year is second on the team in home runs. Like, what does that say? That that guy with just four homers, it's not like he's got 12 is second on the team in home runs. Like, that really shines a spotlight on what other guys are doing. And, you know, we keep going back to these two, but I think we should. Bell and Schwarber, I mean, the numbers really are awful. I mean, I'm I'm looking at them at the end of this game on Thursday. I mean, Josh Bell is slugging 281 on the season. I mean, quality contact or not, that is wretched. A 281 slugging percentage on the year? You know, Schwarber, even with his walk-off homers, and he has a double... 333 slugging on the season. Like these guys are supposed to be power hitters more than anything. And it is feeble what they're doing so far, just from a power production standpoint. Like, never mind getting on base or anything like that, hit for some power. And they're not even close
1: when it comes to that. Yeah, you'd almost rather with those two, you'd almost rather have like fewer productive at bats, but more really productive at bats. Yeah. Connect on a few, have a low batting average, low on base percentage, but hit a few homers in big moments. And that sort of changes the whole outlook. And look, this was game 27 of the season. They missed the first six. So they've been eligible for 21 games. This is not early anymore. We're getting into, you know, May where the team is a sixth of the way through the season. So I don't know that it's, you know, it's early. They missed the first week. They lost their timing. I don't know that's an excuse anymore. This is sort of who they are, at least right now. It doesn't mean there isn't time for them to turn around but I don't think you can any longer use the, oh, they're still trying to find their foot and get their timing down. It's too late for that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if if you just go by plate appearances, which I think is the fairest way to do this, Kyle Schwarber is fifth on the Nats in plate appearances. Josh Bell is sixth. So like they've had plenty of opportunities to get going here and it hasn't happened yet. I mean, some brief flashes, like it's odd with Schwarber, you could argue as the two biggest hits on the season for the Nationals, but like there's more to the season than just those two walk-off homers. And sadly, Just not nearly enough good moments from him.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Hey everyone, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth base is loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right, new users, Get up to $1,000 back in side credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in side credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. In addition to making all sorts of baseball bets, those living in Virginia can bet on Russell Westbrook and his triple-doubles all month long as the Wizards make a push for the playoffs. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT. To get in on the action, that's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code chat.
3: 21 plus and present in present, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply, see terms at sportsbook.fanDuel.com. Gambling problem, call 1 100 522 4700 in Colorado. 100 bets off in Iowa. 100 9 with it Indiana. 100 for confidential help in Michigan. 100 gambler in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia tennessee 1-800-889-9789 or in west virginia visit www.1800gambler.net
1: and now lester sits runner goes the pitch swung on a miss throw by gomes they tag by harrison he is out and the inning
0: is over it's a strike about throw about double play what did you think about john lester on thursday You know, the final line is three runs in five innings. I actually thought at times he looked better than he did in his debut when he threw the five scoreless innings.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, he was getting the weak contact. He was striking batters out, which is something he didn't do in the first game. And it really was just that one sequence in the fourth inning that got to him. Single, walk, double. And then and he still almost got out of it with only the one run. He struck out Riley and Swanson and then gave up the two-run single. That was the killer one to Adrianza. Robles made a great throw to the plate. They almost had him it was a nice slide by Ozuna, but that's kind of what I expect out of John Lester. And I, I don't, if he's better than that, that's great. But five innings, three runs, you know, ideally maybe he'd get give him one more inning six as he's building up a little bit more. He was only at 80 pitches, so you can expect maybe one more inning from him. But, you know, that's, I think, what they should be expecting from him. Give them a chance to win, pitch decently enough into the the sixth inning, and, you know, just cut down on one or two mistakes that that kind of cost them. But no, in the big picture, i I've been pretty encouraged by what I've seen from him because it's not a lot of loud contact. It's a lot of ground balls. The fact that he was actually getting some strikeouts is a good sign. I think all things considered, that's been a a nice little pleasant uh, development so far. It's only two starts, but I, I like what I've seen from him.
0: Yeah, and you know, whereas the defense helped him out in start one, there were some defensive problems in this start two. Jan Gomes had that throwing error in the three-run fourth inning, but the strikeouts to me were the thing. Like, he's not a strikeout pitcher anymore, and so to see him have the five strikeouts over five innings, and like you just outlined in some big spots, like in that fourth inning, almost getting out of that inning before giving up the two-run single by A. Ray Adrianza. That, that was big. I was good to see that. So, you know, three runs in five innings, nobody's going go nuts over. But I did think that that was kind of maybe like a sneaky positive that you don't necessarily get if you didn't watch the game. The bullpen was outstanding again. This is some kind of two-day stretch the Nats have had with the bullpen. The loss on Wednesday night, you get the four perfect innings from three Nats relievers, including the immaculate inning from Kyle Finnegan. And then on Thursday, three Nats relievers combined for four more perfect innings. Austin Voth faces five batters, records six outs. Daniel Hudson, perfect top of the eighth. Brad Hand, who, yes, is still on the team. We just never see him. A perfect top of the ninth. I know it doesn't mean much. The Nats just got swept by the Braves, but man, the bullpen has been locked down here.
1: I do think it is significant because that's the reason they've even had a chance to win these games late, because the bullpen did not let a deficit grow larger to the point that they couldn't come back. And one of these days, they're going to actually pitch in a tie game or with a one-run lead, and it's going to make a huge difference for them. So- I'm extremely encouraged by it. And the fact that they're basically getting from everyone, maybe with the exception of Tanner Rainey, who, who had looked good until his most recent outing. So a lot of guys are contributing there. Nobody's being overworked. They're keeping their team in the game. Eventually that is going to pay off. That's a, a good sign in the long run. You don't want to be 12 and 15, but if you're going to be 12 and 15, I think this is the way to do it. Where your starting pitching seems to be coming together here right now and you're still going to get Strasburg back. Your bullpen has been lights out. Your defense has been fantastic. You just need the offense to come around. And I feel like eventually that's going to come around just enough. They're they're not going to win games seven to six, but the way the pitching and the defense has been, they may not need to. They may be in a position to win a lot of games three to two. And so it's not going to take that much more offense to ultimately win. So I think that's why in the bigger picture. I'm still somewhat encouraged by it. They've got to clean some things up, obviously. But if the bullpen can keep doing that and the rotation seems to be rounding into form, they're going to be in every game. And that's all you can ask for and then hope that some hits start to fall.
0: I'm not advocating for this because I want to see Tanner Rainey get right and I think he deserves more of an opportunity to do that. But the way that Austin Voth is going, I mean, he's got an ERA now of one forty two. It's over twelve and two thirds innings. He's got fourteen strikeouts over those twelve and two thirds innings. Austin Voth is making a case to become more of a high leverage guy for Davey Martinez. Like the thing of oh he's just a mop up guy, throw him out there, he can eat up some innings, like no you can put him in some high leverage spots. We're seeing that. He has been a revelation what he is doing as a reliever. This has really been tremendous to see.
1: I think it's time to start seeing how he can handle some higher leverage spots. For the most part, he's been pitching when they're trailing. There was one game he closed out the ninth when they were up by a bunch of runs. It's a different animal. When you do take the mound for the first time and it's, it's a one-run game in the seventh inning, that is a different animal. But I think you want to find out if he can handle it because so far he is taken to this new role really really well. That and then you want to see how does the arm hold up pitching every other day, three out of four days, all that kind of stuff. He's never had to do that before. But he spoke to us the other day. He seems pretty excited by this. He's taken to the role. He's, you know, at first he was a little bit down because he was hoping to be the number 5 starter, but he's embracing this now and this could be a very different career for him because of this opportunity that let, let's not forget if Will Harris doesn't have his bizarre hand issue and has to be on the IL to start the season. Austin Voth may not be in the organization anymore. They were going to have to find somebody else to remove. He was out of options. Fetty was out of options. Ross was out of options. Somebody was going to be the odd man out. And I think it would have been Voth. And so that bizarre set of circumstances that led to it may have actually allowed them to find a long-term reliever, which is a nice little uh, surprise for them.
0: This is a familiar tale. Zach Britton was out of options years ago, became a reliever and the rest is history with him. Like guys who struggle as starters become relievers, sometimes out of necessity, sometimes because they're out of options and they kind of find something there. And maybe that's happening with both. It's it's been uh, tremendously encouraging to see that. There was another aspect to the Nationals loss on Thursday that's notable here. And that is that Davey Martinez became the longest tenured manager in Nationals history. This was Davey's 411th regular season game as Nats manager. He moves past Manny Acta as the longest tenured manager for the Nats since the franchise came to the district. It's been a revolving door at manager for years. I mean, the Nationals you know, would go, what, every two to three years changing managers from Frank Robinson to Manny Acta to Jim Riggleman. The John McLaren era, which lasted for five minutes, Davey Johnson, Matt Williams, Dusty Baker, and now Davey It's not saying a ton that you're the longest tenured manager since the Nats came here. I get that. But it certainly is a testament to Davey, who obviously won a World Series. Everything you ever read and hear about the guy is that he's a genuine person. He's a good person. People really like him. His managing in that 2019 postseason to me is forever masterful. The aggressive usage of starting pitchers as relievers, the navigation of that Nats team with that bullpen to be able to do as the Nats ended up doing in that postseason. And, you know, I I think it's the kind of day where, yeah, the Nats lost and they got swept, but a tip of the cap to Davey for achieving this. It's, It's not a small achievement.
1: It's not a small achievement when you're doing it for this organization, which has not exactly shown a very long rope when it comes to managers over the years. I mean, it is pretty striking. It was something I kept writing about year after year, every time they would hire a new manager. Will this finally be the one to complete three seasons? As though that was some huge accomplishment because none of the previous ones had been able to do it. I mean, the fact that the record he broke was held by Manny Acta, a wonderful guy who I'm still friends with, and like Davey, a truly, genuinely good person. But Manny Acta was last manager of the Washington Nationals in 2009. He was the manager during their worst time. He has the worst winning percentage in club history. And think about the names of managers they've had since then, all up till Davey. Accomplished Baseball men with track records, and none of them were able to make it through three seasons. It tells you how far they've come. I know there are times the fans complain about Davies' X's and O's, and I'm not saying that he's 100 right. I mean, we talked all about it yesterday about some mistakes that we thought he made. But I think continuity is really important. And even if they didn't win the World Series in '19, I think it was important for them to establish that they finally have somebody in that position who can be here for the long haul that everybody likes and respects. I think it makes a difference in the long run. You hope there's still more success for him and that he's not just going to be living off the one World Series title forever. But even if that's all that it is, I think it's a significant achievement for him and for this organization to finally have a manager that they're not constantly looking over his shoulder for when's he going to be fired.
0: Yeah, I mean, he certainly has been rewarded contractually, which was not something we had seen with Nats managers. So I think that's good to see. He is tied to Mike Rizzo, which is a good place to be because it doesn't certainly look like Mike Rizzo's going anywhere anytime soon. And the thing with Davey, and this is always kind of hard to read, and I know you know people mock him for the camel stuff, and you know he says proud of the boys every 30 seconds and all that, but he really does seem to be very good in terms of having a steady hand. When things are going poorly, he doesn't get negative. He never throws his players under the bus or anything like that. There is this sort of like rock nature to him where when things are bad... Davey's still there and like you feel like you're at ease and and you know you're in a good place. Like I I could see how players like him and are with him. And the other thing too with Davey and you know it's hard to put like a value on this, but the fact that he speaks Spanish, I do think means a lot in today's day and age in major league baseball with all of the Latin American players, especially like with younger Latin American players that he can communicate with them like that, that he can understand their culture where they come from. I think that's another really valuable thing about Davey Martinez. Like we've seen with the Nationals, especially, right? All these Latin American players coming through the pipeline. The fact that Davey can speak their language, I think that's kind of a sneaky, valuable thing about Davey.
1: He relates well to everyone from all backgrounds. And honestly, Dusty Baker, that's a huge trait of his as well, is that it doesn't matter what you look like, where you came from, he will find a way to form a connection with you. Davey is really good at that as well. Before he ever got this job, he was just one of the most well liked people in baseball. He's been around, he's worked and played for tons of organizations. He knows everybody in the game. They've crossed paths at some point, and you never hear a bad word said about him. Everybody likes him because it's genuine. He's not putting on an act. There are other managers who we think of as good communicators and good with the media and who say all the right things, and that's not necessarily who they are behind closed doors. What you see with Davey Martinez is what you get. That is the real person behind it, and I think that's what resonates with players so much. So again, yeah, are there some in-game decisions that sometimes you shake your head at? Yes. But I believe, and I think most baseball people believe the same thing, even though that's the stuff that gets the most attention. The behind the scenes, off the field stuff is you know, 75% of the job of being a big league manager. The in-game stuff is like 25%. Yeah, it's going to come up at times in big moments and big games, but more than that, how do you deal with your players behind the scenes? How do you keep everybody pulling on the same rope in the same direction when things are going bad. We know that that's a forte of his to keep everybody going when things do not look good. That to me is what distinguishes him as a manager. And it's why I think he will have a long career, whether it's here or somewhere else.
0: Yeah, and I'll say this about Davey tactically. I mean, you you can pick nits with every manager. What he did in that 2019 postseason, I think, blows out of the water what we saw from Matt Williams, what we saw from Dusty Baker. Davey did things that postseason that Matt and Dusty, for whatever reason, would not do. So, in the biggest spot, in the biggest run in the history of the franchise, Davey delivered. Like I thought he was so good that October. So that, like, to me, I always kind of fall back on that. Like over the course of the 162, you're going to have things you don't like, and why didn't he do this, and why is he doing that? But when it was the biggest moments in the biggest spot ever for this team, Davey delivered tactically. And uh, I think he always should get credit for that.
1: Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses all her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at real estate Rachel.
3: Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shover's here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12. that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. They sent me a care package a few weeks ago, and let me tell you who they are targeting. Young professionals, entrepreneurs, college students, moms, and yogis. If you fit into one of those categories, I highly recommend checking out Sunday Scary CBD Gummies. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT, where I asked for a coupon. On the checkout page, ready to chill out and get some much of your peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies.
0: Next up for the Nationals, a three-game series at the New York Yankees. The Yankees had a five-game winning streak end on Thursday, a 7-4 loss at home to the Houston Astros. That was some kind of series, by the way, if you were paying attention. The Yankee fans never need a reason to get on anyone. They were all over the Astros throughout that series for all the cheating stuff. I can't stand the Yankees, but in this case, I am totally pro-Yankee in that regard, giving it to the Astros and the Bronx there. Yankees are 16-15 and 15 on the season. have had kind of an up-and-down year, have some guys having big years, but also have some underwhelming people as well. But, you know, the big guys are doing well this year. John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge. Etc. Pitching matchups are Patrick Corbin, Jamison Ty on Friday night, Max Scherzer, Corey Kluber in an interesting matchup for Saturday afternoon, and Joe Ross versus Domingo Herman on Sunday afternoon. And we anticipate, right, Juan Soto being in the lineup for all three games as the Nationals' DH.
1: Yeah, at least as DH. Boy, it would be nice if he could actually play the field, though, because then you could have Zimmerman and Bell in the lineup. They're facing three right handers, so I don't know if there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Zim to play if. Soto has to be limited to DH. That would be nice. I think Friday night, boy, it's a big start for Patrick Corbin. You hope that the good things you've seen from him can translate against a good Yankees lineup in a ballpark where you make mistakes and it leaves the park in a hurry. I think that is really a significant outing for him and a big spot for him. And then, like we said, can they get on the board first? I think it sets such a different tone and not have to be playing from behind. You know, every night, like they have been, that would make a a big difference, go a long way to try to get off on the right foot.
0: All right. I have a question for you. And I am not advocating for this. In fact, I would urge against this. But I'm going to ask the question because the Nationals have shown a penchant for this in recent seasons. And that is taking veteran players discarded by other teams, bringing those guys to the Nats, and then those guys doing well for the Nats, whether you're talking about Isdrubal Cabrera or Gerardo Parra, or more recently, Josh Harrison. The Los Angeles Angels on Thursday announced that the team has designated Albert Pujols for assignment. He has been awful for years now for the Angels. No one's disputing that. Do you think there's any chance that the Nationals, with their offensive struggles, would take a look, would consider bringing Pujols
1: to D.C.? Wow, that would be something, wouldn't it? Um, I'm going to say no. And the reason is, Less that they wouldn't think that maybe, you know, he'd be a valuable person to have, but it just doesn't fit in with this roster at all. You have two guys who only play first base and nowhere else. This is a National League team. There's not going to be a DH. I know Pujols played some outfield early in his career. I don't think that's in the cards for him anymore at this point. So I'm going to say no for that reason. You know, there are moves ultimately they can make to try to help them. I don't think Albert Pujols is the one. I I hope this isn't it for him. I know he's been bad here for a few years. But he has such an important place in the game's history for the last 20 years, and such a gentleman and so well liked by everyone, I hope that's not the end. I hope he does get a, a, an actual chance to go out on, on somewhat of his own terms. I immediately thought of the White Sox because of Tony LaRusa, but I guess they've sort of hinted that they're not going to be looking at him. That would make sense. I don't know if a reunion with the Cardinals is in the works at all. I hope we haven't seen the last of him. If we have or if we have not, can I share a story about the impact that Albert Pujols had on my life, even though he has no idea? that he had this impact on me. If not for Albert Pujols, my son would not exist.
0: Uh Uh-oh. Let's hear
1: this. (laughs) Okay. This is one of those butterfly effect stories where something happened that set in motion a chain of like 10 different events that ultimately led to my family. (laughs) But if not for the very first thing happening, there's an argument that it never would have happened. 2005 National League Championship Series, Cardinals versus Astros. I was covering it. For the Washington Times. I'm in Houston at Minute Maid Park for Game Five of that series, and the Astros are, are looking like they're going to clinch the series right then and there. They're ahead in the ninth inning. Brad Lidge on the mound, and Albert Pujols hits, still to this day in my mind, the most towering, drop your jaw home run I've ever seen into Soto territory up there over the train tracks. The crowd just they're at a high pitch because they're trying to clinch the pennant, and it just the bottom just fell out. Mouths agape. Huge home run to change that game. The reason this is significant is it forced the series back to St. Louis for game six. So that now meant I and all the other writers were going to St. Louis for that. What that also then meant was, because I was going to cover the World Series as well, and it was going to start in Chicago because the White Sox were the home team for the World Series, I was no longer going to have time to come home in between series. If had the series ended in five games, there would have been enough days off, I would have come home. Instead, now I have to go straight to Chicago. Astros end up winning game six, so there's now a couple of days off. Well, I've got to do laundry at this point, okay? I've only packed for one series. I've been packed for the whole thing. So on my day off in Chicago, I've got to do laundry. At the hotel, I do my laundry, sitting around with nothing to do. What am I going to do with my time off? Hmm, I've been thinking about joining this online dating site, and I'm going to do it after the season is over because in the season, I just don't have time for that, right? Well, all right, the season's only a week away from being over. I might as well just sign up for it now. So I sign up for it, and I put my you know little profile out there Put in a couple things about being a baseball fan and, and stuff like that. I leave to go pick up my laundry from the, the dryer. I come back up to my room and there's a message waiting for me from a, a nice young woman who turns out she said that she had been on this service for a little while and had decided this was her last time she was going to try it. I'm going to give it one more shot. Anybody who looked remotely interesting, she was going to send a message to. And I at least qualified for that. We wound up getting married a few years later.
0: Wow.
1: So our marriage and our family is entirely because of the home run that Albert Pujols hit off Brad Lidge in the 2005 NLCS. Who knows where my life would have taken me, where her life would have taken her if we had not been on that site at the same time on that night while I was waiting for my laundry to be done in Chicago.
0: Now, let's not bury the lead. The lead to me is you established a profile, and within a few minutes, you got a hit. I mean, I I think that says something about you. The Kavorka. that Mark Zuckerman possesses. Come on, man, huh?
1: Yeah, I didn't get a lot of hits, but I got the one that mattered.
0: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's a great story. I love that.
1: I think so. So We we actually told that story at our wedding, and um, I've never had the chance to actually tell it to (laughs) Albert Pools. Brad Lidge was a national for a very brief while. Right. And I wanted to tell it to him. I mean, this is the worst moment of his career. He went on, you know, they won the series and everything was fine after that. But that was like a real low point for him. But he seemed like the type who could, you know, laugh about it. And I wanted to tell it to him. And I, I just wanted to get to know him a little bit before I did. And unfortunately, he got injured and was out for a while. And then he finally came back and he made, I think it might have only been one appearance he made. Before he was then released and never to be heard from again. And so, unfortunately, I never got the chance. And obviously, I never told Albert Pujols that story. Maybe someday I'll have the chance to do that as well. But yeah, it was a moment that I think you could say changed my life for the better. And I had no idea in the moment that that would be the case.
0: It's amazing how stuff like that happens. You know, you think about like an alternate universe, like what if that doesn't happen? Then what ends up happening? Like the domino effects are endless when, when you know, you can you drive yourself crazy thinking about. It all those different things. Yeah. I mean, Pujols is fascinating because I don't know that anyone has ever had a better first 11 seasons than Pujols had. 2001 through 2011, he was otherworldly. I mean, he was profiling as maybe a guy who was going to end up being the best player ever. Like that's how good the offensive numbers were. And his career just plummeted basically upon signing the contract with the Angels. That contract that the Angels gave Pujols is the ultimate cautionary tale of paying a guy in his thirties for what he did in his twenties, paying a guy who was on the wrong side of the defensive spectrum. It's just, it's like one of the great case studies you can ever point to. Pujols is a great guy. It's not an indictment of him. You don't blame him for getting that money, but man, like that is exhibit A for a while. You've got to be careful when you dish out those contracts. The Cardinals played that perfectly. They got the best out of Albert and then they didn't have to pay him the big money like the Angels ended up doing
1: and there was a lot of controversy over that a lot of people thought the cardinals it was a huge mistake how can you let this franchise player walk away like that remember the marlins were trying to get in on it and you're like with well, the marlins what are they doing in all this and it is a good cautionary tale and and you know let's see <laughs> there's a long way to go but it reminds me of Bryce Harper to the Phillies and at the end of all that i mean he's signed till he's 39 years old what are we going to be saying about that contract and if you're a national fan are you still going to be upset by it or not it is dangerous and it also makes you appreciate just how good Max Scherzer has been and how fortunate the Nationals are to have struck gold with that contract.
0: Yeah, you know, the other one it reminds me of, and this is on a much smaller scale, but Jordan Zimmerman. The Nationals, to me, played Jordan Zimmerman beautifully, where they got the best out of him. He signs that deal with the Tigers. He was awful for the Tigers for years. That, to me, is a great example of You get a guy in his 20s, you get the best out of him, you let someone else overpay him, and you move on to something else. And that's what the Cardinals did with Pujols. Cardinals, of course, continue to make postseasons beyond Pujols. And the Nationals obviously have done that well without both Zimmerman and Bryce Harper. Well, if you have a story that can top marks when it comes to romance, (laughs) we'd love to hear it. I don't know. That's that's tough to beat. But hit us up on Twitter at nats underscore chat. You can email us to natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Natch Chat Podcast. Email Tim Showers, again, Nats Chat podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mark Zuckerman and myself at Al Galdi. All Nationals radio highlights on Natch Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark, I'm Al. We'll talk to you next time on the Natch Chat
2: Podcast. Albert digs back in. Open stance, deep in the box. Pulls it down on the end. Liggins ready. With two on and two out, his 0-1 pitch. Swing along a long one. There it is, baby. The Cardinals take the
0: lead as Albert Pujols comes through in the pit. And the Redbirds lead this baby
2: five to four. I have this power. <laughs> yes. Kvorka. Kvorka? Hmm? It is a Latvian word, which means the lure of the animal.
1: <laughs> I don't understand.
2: Women are drawn to you. Yeah.